My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry, and I used to have the mental capacity to come up with these jokes. <laughs> you never have, and this is Burn Notice, same as always. A weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, or if anyone even remotely related to the Burn Notice cinematic universe, please get in touch. You can send us connections, questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind at burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com, or to our Twitter, at burnnoticepod. And as always, my friends, that is Burn Noticed with a D. Because of our podcast. Because of our podcast. So I was Googling our podcast earlier. Were you? Yeah. but Well, because I was, I finally bit the bullet and made an account on the wiki page. Because every time I try to edit the alias list, which I had to do a lot Mm -hmm. for this and next episode that you'll be hearing next year. And so as I was, because like there's an error that comes up anytime you edit a wiki page and you're not logged in. And that was annoying to me. So I was like, fine, burn notice wiki. I'll be a member. And then I was just like curious what was going on. And somebody, somebody had posted on Reddit, like not long ago, like a couple of weeks ago, Uh like, hey, has anyone listened to that, that burn notice podcast? I just subscribed and I'm doing a rewatch. And I was curious if anyone has opinions oh no reddit had opinions what the first comment though was like sending me because it was basically isn't that that podcast where they like don't accept criticism and like i just i love that that's the thing that they're all obsessed with this this throwaway joke that we do in our intro to our podcast about how we don't accept criticism and to be clear it's not a bit we don't and like that's the first thing and then somebody else is like yeah don't they hate it and then somebody else comments like i actually listened to a couple of episodes and it seems like the their thing is that they really do like the show and so it's worth like critically examining because i think early in season one i got like super defensive about people on reddit being like don't you just hate the show why are you talking about it wait wait, and then somebody else said (laughs) castellini defensive it doesn't sound like me it wasn't me uh, and then, uh, then they were like, but if, if you're saying, cause they're responding to somebody who's like, these people hate the podcast and somebody, and the guy was the, somebody, I assume it's a guy was like, oh, I mean, I've listened to a couple more episodes and it seems like they're just like critically examining it, but it sounds like you have future knowledge and it's a bummer if it just devolves into them hating on it. And then there's no further comments. Cause of course that guy hasn't listened further. No, of course. If you listened further, you'd get lots of things about how much we like the podcast. I just <laughs> thought it was funny that I found a thread where people were commenting and literally the first one is like, oh yeah, that podcast where they don't except criticism. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> like, it's it's a bit, but also it's not a bit. Right, yeah, Because course. that's it's how you scary. are as a person. <laughs> like, I also think it's funny. <laughs> that is, like, you distilled, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny, and but it's serious. <laughs> here's the thing, audience. If that frustrates you, I understand and this also should not be the podcast you listen to. I just, I'm so curious. Like, if I commented back, like, oh, are you open to criticism? So I have See, some notes. Like, this, this is, is the thing that... <laughs> I'm just here's, saying... Here's the thing. You say this, and you kind of mean it. I mean, I do and... kind of... I mean, I don't care if people criticize me, because I don't care about other people's opinions. Like, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Change my Burn Notice podcast for you? The only person who can change this Burn Notice podcast is Tony. She's the only one I accept authority from. 
And they have abdicated that. Yes, they have absolutely abdicated that responsibility for seasons now. Yeah. But if she wants to come back, she can. Yes. Open invitation for Tony and Tony only. Tony and Joe. Joe, stay the fuck away. (laughs) I don't know a Joe. Is is he on the wire? (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway. Just stop talking about my friends who don't have a podcast anymore. Well, they have a podcast. Yeah, they have a not, podcast. But not a podcast about us. Yeah, which officially means that they're dead to me. Exactly. So I, you are now officially a member of the Burn Notice Wiki. I am. And I no longer get an error message every time I uh, add to the alias list. And this episode, we're, there was a lot of aliases to add. I guess. Here's, here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. Have you tried yet to make an entry for yourself? No, no, I have and like, not. And like an entry for this podcast, but like well, really so, an entry for yourself. Well, of course, yes. It's all about me, the person who doesn't accept criticism and is perfect incarnate. So I'll be honest, I haven't like explored a lot of just like beyond the pages that we use to prepare for our podcast and then the alias list, which I realized was lacking and so have started adding to myself. But I I don't actually know where it would make sense for there to be because I was actually looking at the Burn Notice Wikipedia page today and there isn't like a in pop culture section uh-huh. where it's like other references to Burn Notice. So like there is basically that one Aziz Ansari bit and that's like about it. Uh, and then there's a joke on a late night show and then actually I was watching oh fuck what TV show was I watching I was watching some TV show that made a Burn Notice joke the other day and got like a little 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 warmth in my tummy. In your tum-tum? In my tum-tum. Oh, God, I wish I could remember what I was watching. Oh, gosh. But anyway. But anyways. But yeah, so there's not really a natural place for us to be on the real Wikipedia page unless we added an in-popular culture section. And I'm not really interested in archiving everyone else that's ever mentioned Burn Notice. I find that to be a little much even for me. Although we'll see in 2022 what tomfoolery I'll get up to. Then Who knows? Who knows? But... Uh, yes, I as, am as not. As your life gets sadder, as my life gets sadder, perhaps I will go down this rabbit hole. I mean, I do know several places where Burn Notice has been mentioned, but this is not the point. But the point is, I actually haven't really explored the Burn Notice wiki, but I am not precluding the opportunity to add myself to it at some point on our hiatus. Because just so you know, top of the show, we are uh, not going on hiatus, I guess, but we're going on holiday break. This is the last episode of um, of 2021. We will be back on July 3rd, 2022. Oh, so it's like Christmas right now? It is. I think the 13th is the day that this is going up. Okay, well, Mary... Or no, it's the 20th. I'm putting up one episode on the 20th. Got it. Happy holidays, guys. I had no idea. Yeah, happy holidays, because we're recording this in November. I know, but it's like, yeah, November. It's like early November. It's not even like Thanksgiving. Like, it's Thanksgiving here at Breeze, Mm -hmm. but like, it's not Thanksgiving elsewhere. Also, we're in LA, so it's not Thanksgiving anywhere. Yeah, it's not really anything. Yeah. It's, yeah. We're both wearing long sleeves, though, because yeah. we desperately want it to be something. That's true. It is actually a little colder out today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and it's I been was... foggy and kind of overcast. It's been lovely. Frankly. Exactly. Yeah, I've been super into this shit. I hate living in L.A. No, no offense <laughs> to L.A. Yeah, it's not ideal. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things about it are ideal and certainly better than New York, but I already miss seasons. Right? I miss seasons so much. The thing is that, like, Ike was a child that never experienced seasons. Right, yeah, because you grew up in Texas. I grew up in, like, South Texas. Mm-hmm. I grew up in weather that was not unlike this. Mm-hmm. And I desperately wanted seasons. And so for five years, I lived in New York and got seasons. Mm-hmm. And I want it back. 
Yeah, you got swamp summer, you got swamp fall, you got swamp winter, and swamp spring. All the seasons of New York City. (laughs) That's true. A terrible place to live. It is. But at least there were seasons. Yeah, I think I honestly could see you in like either upper east coast, although it gets like biting cold in Mm -hmm. like the northeast. I can see you aesthetically living in the northeast. Exactly. But I don't know if you would love it to be that cold all the time. So I honestly could see you more in like the Pacific Northwest. The Pacific Northwest is kind of where I want to go. Yeah, I feel that for you. Yeah, I think I might end up there. Who knows? Well, so will I. I like at this point I am by the time just, we get to our white collar podcast we'll be in a fully different state uh, retired on a farm I and our prison break podcast I was just like driving up here being like it's wild how long I have spent living in parts of the country that I don't like living in Yeah the entertainment industry is stupid it's also real stupid really quick uh pitch prison broke Wait so Go on. Yeah, the podcast. Oh, I thought you were. It's pitching... a Prison Break podcast that I'm pitching. I thought you were a title pitching in a the... sequel series to Prison Break called Prison Broke. That is very funny. Yeah. Actually, I do think it might be interesting to do a TV show about like somebody who broke out of prison like a long time ago, and like, but catching up to them, you know, months, years later, where it's like less of an immediate threat, but like might be a threat eventually. But it's like more about their life and that they have kind of rebuilt from the ground up. Would you say that there is, like, a detective or something that's, like, chasing them? Oh, sure. And then they fall in love. Okay. I would, yeah, or something. Maybe it's because, like, they stole bread or something. <laughs> I, I'd, like, let's set it in the backdrop of revolution. Ooh, you're right. Revolution, I think, would be really compelling because then there would be, like, a an additional tension and conflict. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, not one of the main revolutions. Mm-hmm. But like, like a little revolution. Sure, sure. Maybe I could set it in France. Then I could like have an excuse. There's to a like... lot of revolutions in France. You can like, there's twenty of them. You can just pick one. That's true. Yeah, a lot of options. And then I could go on like a location scout to France. Yeah. Oh my god, that'd be nice. What if I added music to it? You I know, because like prison, like the only prison song that I can really think of is like the uh, Jailhouse the... Rock, or not Jailhouse Rock. Is it? Is that the what it's called? Jailhouse it's, it's Rock. It's called Jailhouse Rock. I think I was thinking Schoolhouse Rock and got confused in my own brain. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think that was originally a play on Jailhouse Rock. I think that makes sense. Yeah, but obviously I heard the Schoolhouse I, Rock first. Yeah, that's fair. But anyways, Although, what do you think about like doing like a I, like like adding songs? You know, I think that would be miserable. <laughs> Let's talk about. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Let's talk about Burn Notice. Y'all, I know that every week so far that we have recorded a Burn Notice podcast for season six, we've said the vibes are all over the place, but... What if this is just the vibes? Truly, the vibes are all over the place. Merry Christmas, you idiots. And a Happy New Year. Today we're talking about and season happy holidays. Six. We're talking about season six. Don't criticize Bree's Merry Christmas. She is like... Episode Bree is seven. very worried about the war on Christmas. <laughs> I swear to God, if Starbucks gives me a drink... That is anything less than Merry Christmas, Jesus Lord is my savior, then I'm going on strike. If I get anything less than a crucifix on my Starbucks coffee cup, you'll all hear from me. If that if that coffee does not transubstantiate <laughs> 
This, like, honestly, like, I know we're doing a bit, but, like, have you seen that tweet about somebody who was upset that Google didn't have, like, a cute doodle for 9-11? <laughs> somebody, did you see that? There's, it's going on Tumblr. It just has the same vibe because somebody responded with, like, a sample Google doodle that ha- that turns, like, the two towers getting hit by the fucking, oh like, so they and they basically were like, oh, is that what you wanted? We fucking idiot. <laughs> And, like, that's what I feel like every time someone's like, I need more Jesus on my coffee. I'm like, are you telling me that you think that it's appropriate to put, like, a crucifix on a coffee cup and that would make you happy? This is what we're looking for? Are we sure? Except yes, though, because they like, they kind of like it. And that's a whole other can of beans Mm -hmm. that, honestly, I can't get into. Because right now what I must get into is Season 6, Episode 7. It's called Reunion. These are the people who went and saw Passion of the Christ in the theaters. It aired August 2nd, 2012. It was written by Rashad Razani. Although, curiously, and this happens next episode, too, I think, there's a specific story edit credit for both Ryan Johnson and Peter Lillianis uh-huh. that I feel like is not usually present. Because, uh-huh. like, we we know they're all in the writer's room. But, and like, they... Sometimes they see story credits. But, like, sp- story edit credits. So it's not okay. story by an episode, and, like, written by. Yeah. They got story edit credits on this episode and I next episode. I feel like episode. I see that on some other... I see that on episodes sometimes, and I think that's just, you haven't noticed it before now. Maybe I haven't, but I, um, I was just curious. But now you're, like, following these guys. And mm-hmm. you, you well, and, and also, I, I was curious what it requires for them to get that on an episode that they're not technically credited with writing. I don't know, but that seems like the sort of thing that we should know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I like advertising that we don't know it. Well, I don't take criticism or feedback, so uh, moving on. Uh, Rashad Razani is the official writer of this episode, though, and it was directed by Craig Siebels, who is an old hat burn notice director and has also been on either in a directing or producing capacity on every single other Matt Nix show. So he's... He's family. He's family. When you're here, you're family. And here is Matt Nix's house. Yep. <laughs> Uh, So the IMDb description of this episode reads, Sam tries to help his girlfriend's son, who is indebted to a vicious loan shark. Michael and Fiona must pick up the pieces from their last mission. All right. Being coy here. Yeah. (laughs) Their last mission where a thing happened. Yeah. Everyone remember Nate's dad, guys. I know. (laughs) I know we talked a long time just now. (laughs) I'm like, but like. Nate's still dead, everyone. He sure is. Although Seth Peterson gets a acting credit on this episode, and we'll get to that. Oh, let's wow. get to the weeds. <laughs> I never in my life learned his name. I I know it because I have I googled them sometimes. Um, I didn't want to know. All right, we're in the weeds. So in the weeds, we actually start somewhere without any weeds on a somber beach shot of Fee and Michael, where Michael does the whole, like, you should sit this out. You've done too much. And Fee's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. What are we going to do about Nate? And then we move on. <laughs> but like the whole, and this, this comes back a lot in this episode, in next year's episodes where Michael's like, no, Fee, it's too dangerous. And it's like, Michael, have you not watched six seasons of this show? Let's, let's not do this. And this is what Fee also says. Which, yeah, exactly. You know, makes sense. I thought that was very meta of her. <laughs> uh, so back at the loft, 
with Very Sam, Facebook of her. With now Sam and Fee. We are all out of leads on Nate's killer through normal channels. Uh, Madeline will not pick up the phone, uh, and Michael looks very upset, obviously. She hasn't talked to him since Nate died, or since he told her that Nate died. Uh, and so then Michael's suggestion to contact Rebecca is reluctantly accepted. The problem is that Rebecca isn't picking up her phone, and the tracker that they hit on her hasn't moved from Sam's girlfriend's high-rise, which is apparently where they've hidden her. Uh, so the Autobots roll out, but when they get there, Michael makes an assumption that Rebecca has played them, because, like... The place is sort of torn up, but in a way that isn't like there was a struggle. But like, I have turned this into a little spy hub. And also, Rebecca is not there. Uh-oh. Post-cold open, the gang turns over Rebecca's room and finds a note with uh, a loose tracker. And the note says, nice try, Sam, because she has found the tracker on her and has removed it from her person. She also hacked hotel security so that she could, like, keep an eye on things and then find a way out that was not covered by security. Uh, and they determined because there is, like the rug is wet or something like there was rain damage oh, yeah. uh, and it hasn't rained for a couple of days. So they're like, she's been gone for a while. She has not been in this location that we hid her for at least a couple of days. Fuck. Do you want, I wonder what the hotel staff thinks. I know that's never brought up that like yeah. what Elsa thinks of like this destroyed hotel room. Or even like, but even before that of like, I guess she just had the do not disturb on for like several days. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's true. And then just like, I always wonder, I feel like if I worked at like a hotel and the the do not disturb was on there for like three days, I'd be like, someone's dead in there. (laughs) I mean, I I feel like probably because they're stashing like a a burn spy in there, they Uh told like, even without the do not disturb sign, it's like, do not go into this hotel. That's right. That's true. You know what I mean? They got to connect. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, so this is a thing. And they also, like, instantly assume, like, oh, since she's been gone for several days, she definitely had time to go to uh, Atlantic City and kill Nate. She definitely killed Nate. And I was like, oh, okay. So she definitely did not kill Nate. No, great, Good to know. As soon as they instantly accuse her of this, I'm like, okay, so it's not Rebecca. Yeah. I still kind of think it's Pierce. I don't think it's Pierce. someone acting on Pierce's orders. I, I do. I think it is. I'm that's my that's the one I'm holding on to. You're gonna hold on to that? I'm holding on to it. You're gonna hold on to that like through the rest of the year? Mm-hmm. All right. the rest of the the whole rest of the year. The other thing that they discover is that um she has also like tapped into the phone line something something so that she could make calls, but something something hotel phone line, something something. They need all of the call records from this floor. So like yeah. it's not necessarily going to come from her room, but any calls she made, and it appears she made several, will have come from the floor. So if they sort through it, great. So they need Elsa, uh, if you'll remember, Sam's sugar mama, who to... owns a hotel. Oh, owns I think several hotels. Uh, is several. The yeah, she is. Yeah, she is a magnate. She is a magnate. Yes. She's... She's a hot mama magnate, and she's got to get him the phone records. And so we cut to Elsa. We actually we have find- never met. We've never met her. She's one of the few, like, I mean, Sam has, he's a serial monogamous, so we don't, you know, he doesn't have a ton of girlfriends, but we've been hearing about Elsa for like two seasons at this point, I feel like. How did you feel about Elsa? I I love that the first shot of her makes her appear very tall and like I got like a flash of like that vampire like that tall vampire mom oh, from like resident a, yeah. village uh resident village idiot yeah resident village idiot yeah <laughs> resident evil village and I was like ooh that's fun but then when we get to actually a scene with her and Sam Sam's taller than her and I was like ah I would have loved for Sam to be dating a woman way taller than him that would have been so fun i yeah i would have enjoyed that i mean she definitely has like tall bitch energy which i appreciated but i wish she was taller 
yeah, she has an energy. I don't know if, like, it's it's weird that we're meeting someone. You ever meet someone for the first time that you've heard a lot about, and they just happen to be having a bad day? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're having a bad day, so I don't know how much of this is the day, or how much of this is just you. Mm-hmm. Never meet your heroes, kids. Exactly. Or your heroes, sugar mamas. Exactly. Because she just seemed kind of mad the whole time, and I was just like... What do you and Sam do? I mean, she's having a hard time. Seems exactly. like a bad. Seems like a bad day. It seems like a bad day. She first because like the phone call that we hear is her screaming at somebody for talk like for so, screaming at someone who works at one of her hotels for like touching the girls inappropriately, and he, she's like, "If you ever do that again, I'll kill you." And I'm like, I feel like honestly, the real feminist thing to do here would just be to fire this person. Like, I don't understand why you're threatening someone for already being a like sexual harasser. When you know he's been a sexual harasser, just fucking fire him. Yeah, exactly. It seems an odd choice, but moving forward. The real reason that she's upset, in addition to this this, uh, harasser that we never hear about again, is um, that her son, her adult son, has been a problem. So she cut him off at some undisclosed time in the past. And it sounds like she and Sam have talked about this at length. Sam like yeah. instantly is like, Oh, Evan, what's he up to? And yeah. <laughs> in order for this episode to work, we have to buy that Sam has a relationship with this son. Like a, even a, like a light one. Cause... Not like a light one. Not in the sense that like that not even that they've met, but in the sense that like he has Pre, they have pre-existing feelings about each other mm-hmm. that, like, are coming to a head right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. So all that we know about Evan at this point is that at some undisclosed point in the past, she cut him off financially, and he largely cut her off. But then recently, like, this last week, he's been calling his mom a lot and, like, asking for, like, a ton of money. And she's like, no, that what do you think getting cut off means? And then this morning, um, he showed up at her house while she was gone and, like, kind of harassed the housekeeper and stole a diamond tennis bracelet worth 10K. Bree? Yeah. What's a tennis bracelet? Like, what makes it a tennis bracelet? I feel like we've had this conversation on Burn Noticed before, because... I feel like I've never had this conversation with anyone in my life. I mean, there's definitely been, like, diamond tennis bracelet things on this show before. That's just, like, a thing that in TV shows, it's like, this is a rich lady thing. It's having a tennis bracelet. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like, it's like tennis shoes, where we yeah. call it that. Exactly. Hang on. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna Google tennis bracelet. It's just like a bracelet, right? Bree has found an article called "Why is it a tennis bracelet? Uh, why is it called a tennis bracelet? Why is the why is the headline of this article asked that question twice? Because it's uh, SEO. I hate SEO. Can I say right now? I hate SEO so much. It's the it's, worst thing. It's the only way that you can be even a little bit relevant on the internet. And since the internet is how we communicate now, it is a an evil we must accept. It is. So they, they do get their name from the sport of tennis. There's a few conflicting theories to pinpoint when exactly the popular bracelet got its name. Historians, however, always reference a specific tennis match, which led to the iconic tennis bracelet definition. The tennis bracelet... Oh my god, there's so many words. This is a terrible... I mean, it's it's SEO. They're just repeating things so that no matter how somebody Googles it, they'll find this first. The definition gained skyrocketing popularity during 1987. Again, not the tennis bracelet itself, but the tennis bracelet definition. Yeah. It's either 1987 or possibly 1978, two very different dates uh, at the U.S. Open. The Grand Slam Princess... But all the same digits, just not in the same order. Yeah. 
The Grand Slam princess, a.k.a. Chris Everett, was in the middle of her match when she dramatically called for the game to stop. She noticed her diamond bracelet fell off her wrist, and she wanted to stop the match to locate the bracelet. Journalists covering this event uh, referred to her bracelet as the tennis bracelet, marking this incident as the front-running explanation for why it's called that. It? So diamond bracelet. It's like a simple diamond bracelet. That's And that's a tennis bracelet. I guess. Okay, here, what is a tennis bracelet? A tennis bracelet is a bracelet covered in small diamonds or other precious gems connected underneath by a thin metal material. The style uh, of tennis bracelets are intentionally meant to showcase the sparkling diamonds or precious gems more than the thin material underneath. I guess, yeah. In my head, I always just thought that's like a bracelet. I mean, I think that what defines it is that, like, it's a line of gems or diamonds. Like, there's no other, like, no, and they're else. all the same. Like, it. It's a uniform circlet of it's diamonds. Like, it looks like beads, but it's diamonds. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, and there's... Like a beaded bracelet, but with, yeah. But there's, precious. yeah, so all of these seem, like, fairly simple and straightforward it's That's there's what, there's yeah. there's not additional accoutrement there's not like charms right or yeah. like there's not like a statement like it's not like a ring where there's usually like a big central diamond and then smaller ones exactly around it. it's just it's, like just a whole bunch of diamonds yeah got it got it now we learned something today we did learn something we learned that seo sucks <laughs> yeah and so does evan elsa's shitty son um so sam's she's like i honestly don't even care about the bracelet or the money but like this seems bad. Can you tell him to fucking get his shit together? And Sam's like, sure, babe, I got you. Although he does mention like, I'm supposed to be doing something for Michael today, but you know what? I got it. I'll, I'll handle this. I'll be, I'll go be stepdad for a little bit. Uh, so then we cut to uh, him and Jesse, both acknowledging that they are definitely supposed to be busy with Michael's thing. But- Again, Nate just died. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, let's pause here for a second, because, like, for being the episode that immediately follows Nate dying, this episode does not give a shit that Nate died. Right, not at all. Even in the plot line about Michael trying to hunt down who he thinks is Nate's killer, we barely talk about Nate. He comes up, like, once or twice. Mostly they're talking about Madeline, of, like, Madeline won't talk to me, I'm really nervous. But, like... Fee was in jail for, like, half an hour, and Michael went fucking ballistic on every single person he came into contact with. Nate dies, and it's just like, we're cracking jokes. Yeah, like... We're doing heists. It's the episode after Nate died, and so now it's time to meet Sam's girlfriend and her (laughs) dirtbag son. And do, like, a whole Sam episode. Yeah. Sam the stepdad to the rescue episode. It's such a funny... Like... It's honestly such a funny tonal match to, like, the episode right after Nate dies, because it tells you exactly how much the writer's room gives a shit about Nate, and it's not at all. <laughs> like, there's, like, the tonal That's difference the between how Michael behaves in this episode. Yeah. He's so, like, you know, he, he's a little muted, like, oh, Fee, I don't want you to get in trouble. I can't miss, I can't lose anyone else, you know. Uh, but, like... The thing about it is... It's, a, it's a, just a burn notice episode. We just, make a lot... A fun of Nate, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna miss that honestly. And some, but sometimes I'd be like, we sure are really mean to Nate, but it's like, so is the show. Yeah, the show does not give a shit at all. I find it very funny. Yeah. So the show also hates Nate. It's like you made Nate. Mm-hmm. Like it's a like. I mean, I feel like a lot of people hate their kids. <laughs> I don't want to unpack that. <laughs> So instead, 
uh, we'll go to Sam and Jesse, who are definitely for sure going to talk to Evan and then get right out of there. It's going to be quick because every time Sam has a little favor to ask, it's always quick. So they show up to Evan's place. Evan acts like a punk, like a spoiled little rich kid. He and Sam exchange some words about their relative relationships to Elsa, but the conversation and the observance that there are packed bags in the foyer lasts just long enough that somebody else starts knocking at the door and Evan has to stash Sam and Jesse in like a side room because what we learn is that he is in deep to a loan shark and he doesn't have the money to pay him back and even with the tennis bracelet it wasn't enough so he's just got to get out of town you guys hide I'll get rid of him the guy playing Evan has real strong, I used to be on the Disney Channel energy. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Hang on, I gotta actually look up where he's from because he's very familiar. He's very familiar, but I don't know if I've actually seen him in anything or if he just has that vibe. He has kind of a little bit of a discount LaBeouf energy. His name is Brando Eaton. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, and he was on Zoe 101. Yeah. <laughs> so not Disney Channel, but Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. Like, no, but just... Oh, fuck, is... that's definitely where I know him from. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there he is. Zoe 101. Exactly. That makes sense. No, that is the vibe. His vibe is like, I was like a comedy character on like a children's show, and now I'm trying to have a career. Oh, and he was on Awkward. Awkward was an underrated show. Which one was... It's was on that? MTV, mm. and it starts with a girl with like a... Like Who's a half awkward? body cast. No. A, a lot of people. Uh, Desi Lightman was a, a like principal or something or like a guidance counselor. Yeah, I I remember the show existing. That's right. Yeah, it's a, like at least for the first two or three seasons. It's like yeah. a solid comedy. But then actually around the time that I was working at MTV for their department, their research department, I learned the underlying like mechanics of not awkward specifically, but of MTV shows, which is people like me, interns, and then like the people that worked at the research department would just like scour social media for like teen slang and then make reports on what teen slang means and what things seem to be like trending in teen world and would send it to the writer's rooms. And so then they would like work it in. So like you can see, especially later seasons of Awkward when they're clearly running out of ideas, they'll like have a buzzword for the episode. And like it, they, it, it's so funny watching them try to integrate like teen slang, but these 30 something actors have to say it like with a straight face written by 30 something writers who definitely have never used these words in their real life. And it's so aggressively uncomfortable. Awkward, you could even say. You could say it. You could say. Yeah, there's Evan on burn notice. He was apparently also in The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Oh, and he was on Dexter. That's also how I know him. That's coming back. Yeah, it sure is. So uh, Sam and Jesse hide in a den. Jesse complains that he's on his lunch break because I guess Jesse is still employed. It's wild to me that Jesse still has just like a regular job, even though I we know that he can't be at that job very often, given like how chronologically we have been watching the past couple of episodes. And also the extent to which he does things that are illegal. Mm-hmm. and Like visibly illegal. Yeah. And like, and I feel like, uses this job for his own personal use. Yeah, oh, 100%. I can only assume that everyone at this job is like this. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's very confusing. But he's on his lunch break, so confirmed, I guess, Jesse still has a job. And as they, like, listen into this thing, um, Morris, the psychotic loan shark or whatever, is, like, threatening Evan and, like, like I'm, I'm about to beat you up with my goons here because you were supposed to do a heist for me. And you didn't do it. And you said you were going to have a crew and your crew isn't here. And I heard they don't like being paid in tennis bracelets. So you failed me and I have to kill you now. And Evan's like, actually, no, I have a crew. They're just in the other room. And so... What's <laughs> funny about this moment is I thought that that was what Sam was going to do. Because like, Sam was like watching is like, we got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and can't then, let like, Elsa's stupid kid die. Exactly. She'd never let it go. Mm-mm. And like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, I was, I was expecting a reaction and I didn't get one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and so like when he did it, and they're like, "Oh, I wish he hadn't done that," but it's like that's what you would have done. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it's weird that they give that point to Evan. Yeah, like I think it's probably supposed to come across as like he panics and doesn't want to get hurt, so he throws these two under the bus. But like it comes off as a smooth spy move of like pivoting. So it is weird that they give that agency to shitbag. Right. Rather than letting Sam, the stepdad. He never gets it again, really. No, he doesn't. Because the rest of the time, they're, like, mad at him for getting them involved. And I guess that's why. It's like they have to justify they're mad they're getting him involved. Like, if Sam's the one that rescues him, he can't be as resentful. Yeah, it's very... But it's it's still weird. I feel like they could have constructed it better, especially to give Evan a little bit more of an arc of, like, trusting Sam and, like, that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. Could have been futzed with. But regardless, we now cut to the den where Jesse's playing a guitar and uh, Sam is reading a magazine. And they're like, hey, is it time to go yet, Evan? I'm Eric and this is Chuck. (laughs) And Morris is like, you guys seem legit. Let's go to a second location. So we cut away. I love Jesse so much in that moment. <laughs> just like casually playing guitar. He just like found it and it was just like. <laughs> oh my god. It's just, it's really good. Yeah, like that cut was like a hard comedy cut. And that's what I paused and was like, oh right, Nate's dead. <laughs> like this, again, the tone of this episode oh. would oh not imply god. that a major character's like family member died instantly before this like less than 72 hours ago i'm sure oh my god it's so funny how the show does not give a shit because yeah like every single episode before fiona gets back michael is like fully on edge and like furious and angry and like Uh rage spitting at everyone exactly and the whole show is about it right exactly and this one it's like i mean i guess we're finding trying to find his murderer but even that is almost is barely about nate yeah it is at best inspired by nate it's not about him at all Oh, my God. So, uh, yeah. So we go to a second location, but we don't go to that location yet. First, we have to check in back with Rebecca's hotel room current occupants, Fee and Michael. So they're looking over what Michael found in the phone records. (laughs) Thank you. I thought it was en naturel. So they're looking through the phone records, and Sam isn't able to help yet. Fee's like, yeah, Sam called. His errand's taking longer than usual. And they're like, okay, well, we'll do this ourselves for now. And so Michael has found a particularly suspicious phone call at 2 a.m. to a print shop. And Fee's like, well, whenever I call a print shop that late, it's because I need a fake ID. So they're like, cool, we should go to the print shop. 
Um, and then we have a quick little montage because they aren't sure what kind of situation that they're heading into. So it's like the, the spy voiceover is all about like, you got to be prepared when you don't know what to prepare for. Like, here's some things you might want to prepare. And like <laughs> this montage is also a fee getting like progressively hornier as they like put all these guns away. And like Michael's like fitting her into her Kevlar vest. And like, there's just like, there's a wild look in Gabrielle Anwar's here's eyes. Like, thing. I'm going to eat you up. The thing about this scene and, like, Fee in this episode is that Fee is now totally on board with killing everyone yes, again. Yes, because the next thing that happens is at the end of the montage, uh, she's like, yeah, let me just, like, load up my shotgun with beanbag rounds and I'll be ready to go. And Michael's like, no, live ammo. When we shoot, we shoot to kill. And she's like, ooh, I love that. And then they leave. And I'm like, fucking pick a side. Like, I like that she's horny about, like, getting ready for some, you know, potential violence. But again, now we're gone back to not just, like, general violence and chaos, but, like, Murder. Michael's saying, we will kill somebody on this trip. And she's like, hell yeah. What about your line fee? Were you lying to Anne? Exactly. What the fuck is going on here? Just like, we will be happy with either side, Bernotas, but fucking pick a side. You can't just like conveniently decide that fee is the like nonviolent one. When again, this episode understands that her, uh, the underlying character of Fiona Glen Ann is violence and chaos. Should we shoot them? Exactly. Like, she can still ha be the empathetic core. And, like, we've seen hints of that in previous seasons of, like, if it's, like, a, a woman being battered by a somebody or a kid, she's, like, instantly yeah. more, you know, on their side. But she's on their side in a way that's, like, I will kill everyone to protect you. Like, that's, that's still a moral core, yeah. you know? So I don't understand. I just, just be consistent. Just be consistent. Just pick a side. Burn yeah. us. Fucking pick a side. But for the record, I like this side better. So, like, Same. Yeah, this do this. Side. Do this. I mean, do the other thing, but commit to it. But do this. It's it's more fun. Yeah, do it's this. way better. So we get to our second location with Evan, Jesse, and Sam. And we learn that the heist that Morris has uh, sensibly hired them for is uh, for a competing club owner. Because I think, I don't know if he, like, owns his own club, Morris does, or, like, works in clubs. It's unclear. But there's a club owner for some club called Geronimo's. And um, Morris sold them a big 18-wheeler of champagne, and he got stiffed on his payment. So he's like, well, I look like a chump, so I want you to steal my truck back. You yeah. know, simple as that, just steal my truck back. He doesn't get to keep my truck if he doesn't get to pay me for my truck. Yeah, this is immediately not what's going on. Like, it's so obvious that this is not what is going on, mm -hmm. because, like, why would he be going through all this trouble to hire, like, this dirtbag to just steal a truck because... He got stiffed on a payment. Mm -hmm. like, Anyways, so they're like, and he's also like, I think he, he immediately tells them like, and you have an hour. Like, you're on a timeline and the timeline is an hour. Have a good time. Then, like, as our, our heist team goes off to plan, Evan reveals that the reason that he is embroiled in this is because when his mom cut him off and he couldn't, like, pay for his car anymore, he got really good at hot wiring people's cars and then got well known for hot wiring people's cars. And so, like, that's how he was, you know scouted yeah he's a little team. he's a little bit of a baby driver he's a little bit of a baby driver although not even not even because he doesn't do much driving it's and, mostly the and also we know that our team can hotwire cars so it feels weird that like they bring on this kid who does a thing that they all can do yeah 
Like, why is he involved? Yeah, it seems like everyone in Miami as, can hotwire a car. Right. As soon as Morris leaves, they should just send Evan home or something, and then Sam and Jesse do it. Because, frankly, there's no reason why they need two pe- three no. people. Like, at no point during this heist that we see, which is, like, barely a heist, it's a robbery. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But, like, Evan is not needed at all. He's just there to whine and then have a catharsis with his stepdad. That's it. Yeah. So it just it just feels like a wasted character, right? It- feels incredibly wasted. It's super wasted, super, you know, I don't know. I think they could have done something more interesting here, but whatever. They have an hour, uh, no time to squabble. Um, but yeah, so Sam and Sam and Evan are like at each other's throats pretty much constantly. Yeah. Uh, so then back with Michael and Fee, they observe that the print shop that they're scouting out is like very well secured. It almost looks like a cage, but they're also running out of time. So Michael pretends that Fee is going into hypoglycemic shock and they need like to get into the place. They're like, hey, can you like call somebody? And then Michael sees donuts on a table or something and is like, can we have one of your donuts? Please let us in so we can have one of your donuts. And finally the print shop guy's like, fine, come in and have a donut. Now, to be very clear, the print shop guy is like, Give me $50. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, the the print shop guy has a woman who's dying and is like, give me $50. Like, no, because, like, and not, he didn't just bring up $50. But I was like, here, I'll give you, I'll give you, like, $10. <laughs> like, it's like, maybe 20 I don't know. Was, he, he, like, haggles <laughs> him up. He's like. <laughs> this guy's not a good guy. No, he's not a good guy. He won't even give a dying woman a donut. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, but. <laughs> It's a big reaction to something that wasn't that funny. It was the way you said it, like a real, like, this this real 1920s character. It's a real film noir shit. It's a real transatlantic accent. Yeah, it's real, like, won't even give a dying woman a donut. Bad dude. As it turns Bad out, though, fella. as it turns out, uh, this fella is also a sucker because as soon as he lets him in, they they stick him up. Give him a real work over. So they, they like, tie him up inside his shop. And uh, or I don't even think they tie him up. But, like, they learn once that they have the upper hand and they're inside that Rebecca called him a little while ago asking for the deluxe package of, like, fake ideas. Because they find one of the fake IDs he's making for her. And they're like, cancel the rest of your day. Call Rebecca. Tell her that your deluxe package is completed early. And just, like, be cool. So he's like, well, but my clients are like mad, blah, blah, blah. Then Fee threatens him to get this going. And he tells her that she may not be a bi- diabetic, but she's one sick lady. Oh, God. And I... I forgot about that line. I will never forget about that line for as long as I live. I can't believe I forgot about it. You may not be diabetic, but you're one sick lady. Oh, my Incredible God. Incredible stuff. A... <laughs> Nate just died. Have some restraint. <laughs> That's the sort of thing that you say after saying he wouldn't give a dying lady a donut. <laughs> yeah, so again, all over the place. This fucking episode. I'm having a fun time with it, though. It's like, it's fun. And like, I like that there are two like mini escalating situations. Yeah. And eventually we have a little bit of a cut back and forth of like two high speed chases. One on foot, one on the road. Uh, not for long, but like, yeah, I yeah. like that the, you know, both of these stories are interesting to me. And they're moving at a quick pace. They're exactly. Kinda, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there seem, there, there seems to be enough tension ratcheted up that like, yeah. I'm excited by both of them. There's like, they're not that complex. They're very simple stories. Right. Well, but I they're mean, like, yeah, they have to share space in this episode. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm having a good time. Yeah. 
So back at the heist, Evan has stolen a very nice car, which we learn it like the and an unnecessary detail is thrown in that it was illegally parked in a handicap space. Handicap space. Who does that? And Sam's like, "Yeah, you're a real fucking hero." Like, I don't know. I guess it's to imply like Evan's not all the way gone yet. He's a little bit of a good guy. I don't know. It just I don't know. It's, it's a weird exchange. It's a weird thing to like make a point of clarifying exactly but in, in any case the the heist plan is jesse's going to distract the guards and they're gonna steal the car that's it that's the whole heist yeah it's not complicated it's a smash and grab right. like 2.0 essentially exactly. to be fair they had like an hour <laughs> i guess it's just it's funny that they keep calling it a heist like yeah. a heist is a little bit high-minded for what exactly is happening here I don't know if I would call this a heist, but in any case, right as they're like preparing to to do the thing, uh, we get a little bit more backstory, which is that like Evan is giving his mom a hard time because after his dad died, his mom apparently got like really hardcore about him taking over the family business. And he was like a little bit resistant and also felt like he could never, you know, live up to her expectations and to her dad. And so, Which like, is fair because he sucks. Yeah, no, he for sure sucks. He's, yeah. he's, he's a real Nickelodeon ass bitch. And... Uh, I wouldn't even pay a nickel for him. <laughs> I just gradually just become this character. <laughs> I think it it might be me now. I think it's me actually. So so yeah. So we get a little more backstory, and uh, that's fine. I don't care about Evan. So then the the heist begins. Jesse slams the stolen car into like a breaker box. I don't know. There's lots of sparks and everything. And he it like right in front of the club where like all there's a bunch of guards and then there's a parking lot. <laughs> and so he Jesse's job is to like draw the guards to him. And so the way that he does this is by like claiming that one of the guards threw a rock at him and that's why he crashed the car. And he's yelling so loud that the like owner comes out and they're all yelling at each other. And Jesse claims at one point that he's going to get the cops down here and have them ha- uh, fingerprint every rock on this street and you know jesse's having a good time i love when jesse gets to do a lot i love when jesse gets to do a lot jesse's great i will have cops fingerprint every rock on this street the thing that i was not expecting when we started this burn notice podcast Mm -hmm. is that i would develop like a full-on crush on kobe bell (laughs) well it's his it's honestly it's his personality yeah 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 so uh Distraction works. Uh, our very good car thief does a car thief and drives off with Sam in the passenger seat of the the big rig. Then Jesse, like as soon as he sees shits popping off, like gets back in his car. But then something happens that in when it first happens, I don't really think anything of. But like all of the guards turn around and like shoot up Jesse's car when they realize Jesse's with them with like semi-automatic guns. And I'm just like, oh yeah, so you know. Yeah. People in Miami. That's, I have come to assume that people in Miami who work for nightclubs have semi-automatic guns. Exactly. Obviously. Why wouldn't they? So I don't think about this at all. But then we cut to the next scene where, um, you know, Sam's kind of nervous. They're, they've parked the big rig off the side of the road to like do the exchange. And Sam's kind of nervous because Jesse's not there yet. Jesse drives up in, you know, car riddled with bullets and Jesse starts freaking out. Like that is a lot more firepower than just like a champagne exchange. Right. And then I was like, oh, right. Yeah. We're like halfway through the episode this definitely isn't champagne uh, and when we open the truck we learn what it is it is a traveling mdma lab so it's like a whole lab set up in the back of the big rig to create mdma and then sam and evan punch each other a little bit 
because Sam is mad that Evan has got them into this and didn't check, and Evan is mad that he's such a fuck-up and has nothing better to do but punch Sam back. Yeah. And then Jesse's like, you idiots, Morris is coming, get your shit together. So Evan gets back in the driver's seat for some fucking reason, and Sam sits in the passenger seat and gives Jesse a phone, because Jesse lost his phone previously in his last distraction, and this will become important later, because we need to be able to get in contact with Jesse. So uh, Morris comes driving up, they drive off with their MDMA lab, and that's that scene. That is that scene. That is, in fact, that scene. Yeah. Back at the printer shop, we are once again reminded that Nate's dead. Just, like, in case you forgot, because the episode definitely has, by the way, Nate's dead. Um, And Fee and Michael are just, like, waiting to ambush Rebecca. Uh, Michael once again emphasizes to Fee that she needs to stay back because he can't lose her, too. But then shit hits the fan in a way that we weren't expecting, which is one of the clients from that the guy claimed to have like canceled his appointment with shows up and it's like, hey, where's my shit? What do you mean I can't get it? How dare you? And so at first Fee tries to like get him to leave and he's like, what are you gonna do? And then Michael comes up with a gun and it's like, we do not have time for this, get away. And so like, of course, a guy, the guy reacts like you react when you get a gun pointed at you and he puts his fucking hands up and then Michael's like, wait, shit, <laughs> we're supposed to be keeping it cool. We need to lure Rebecca in, put your hands down. And then of course, at that exact moment, we see Rebecca from across the street and Rebecca is like, oh, something is happening there and that seems bad. So I'm going to leave. What I love about this moment actually is that like, it is a situation in which a hastily planned thing goes wrong because it was badly planned Mm -hmm. in a way that feels very natural. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like the only thing that even feels slightly contrived is that like Rebecca happens to show up at that moment. Mm -hmm. But like, again, that's just like, Everyone's kind of acting the way that a person would act in this situation. I actually don't even think it's that big of a contrivance. It's not that big of a contrivance. She wasn't even supposed to be there that day. They specifically called her and said, like, get down here as soon as possible. So if at any point before she gets there, someone else shows up, it has a much higher likelihood of her also showing up. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, that worked for me. I I liked it. I also liked that it went wrong. Yeah, no, but the way that it went wrong, just whenever they, like, say to someone, like, hey, cancel all your meetings today, like... Usually it works. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But this time it's like, hey, and like even the guy that is, owns the print shop is like, I mean, I guess he didn't. I called him, but I guess he doesn't check his voice. Right. Now. Exactly. Yeah. Which is very a reasonable thing to happen. Mm-hmm. So Becca runs and Michael chases after her. It's not a long chase, but like Michael's chasing her. She turns around and shoots Michael in the shoulder. Luckily, he's got his uh, sexily put on Kevlar vest. So he shoots back and shoots her like actually wings her for real. And then she gets on a motorcycle and drives away. So she has escaped, but she has been wounded gravely. Back at the car race, Evan drives to Sam's instructions. Once again, completely unclear why Evan is in the driver's seat. Sam has done defensive driving before. Sam has also done offensive driving before. Sam has done this before. Why the fuck is Evan in the driver's seat? Yeah, again, this would make more sense if he was baby driver. Right, it's not just that he can hotwire cars, because fucking everybody can hotwire a car. You and I could probably do it at this point. We've seen them do it so many times. You just take out wires and put them together. Exactly, and then wait for the CGI spark to happen. Yeah. But yeah, like if he was also like a getaway specialist where he's like, yeah, I just like know Miami really well because, you know, I've been on a high roller and I've been a low roller. So like, I really know the streets and I know where all the like, what, you know, something, just anything. It's like, kind of like Nate was. Exactly. In Atlantic City. Aw, Nate. That's funny. They should have done more with that. Yeah, they should have. It's like it's the first episode after Nate dies, they get another shithead car guy. Yeah, exactly. 
That would have been interesting. Yeah. It would have felt like... It just feels like this episode was planned way before <laughs> Nate was dead. And then they're like, yeah, I guess we could do that next. Because there's not a lot with the heist plot. But, like, we could probably add the sh- hunting for Nate's killer plot in there. I feel like that would fit. Right, yeah. It, it, it just feels so arbitrary as it a follow-up. Does. It's... I'm obsessed with it. I think it's very funny how little thought they give to Nate at all. So there's a lot of, like, driving, and Evan has to, like, you know, run people off the road or try to while also keeping things still. Uh, Sam calls, uh, or first Morris calls them, and uh, Evan's like, what if we just pull over and give them the truck? What if it's fine? And Sam's like, it's not going to be fine. So then Morris calls, and Morris is like, yeah, it's not going to be fine. I'm going to fucking kill you. And Evan's like, okay. So then Sam calls Jesse in the back of the truck. Remember, importantly, Jesse has a phone now and is in the back of the truck. And uh, Sam's like, hey, Jesse, can you keep them off our ass for a little bit? Do you have anything back there? You have a whole fucking MDMA lab. And Jesse's like, I got you. So Jesse builds some bombs. Um, It's very dangerous because he's obviously in, you know, working with like volatile chemicals on a moving truck bed. Yeah. Not great ideal, not, not ideal circumstances for bomb making. But he's able to do it and he's not blow himself up. Yeah, and he does do that. And he uh, manages to, to blow up one car instantly. And so then they all back off a lot. But um, then uh, Sam calls Michael and is like, hey, Michael, some shit went down. <laughs> not only can I not come help you, but also I really need your help. And Michael, to his credit, like doesn't like give him a hard time at all at any point. He's just like, what do you need? Where are you? How can I help? Exactly. So the first plan is Michael's like, you know, get to Miami. They're like 20 miles out, or 20 minutes outside of Miami. He's like, you know, I'm going to go to this certain place. I'm going to ambush them. Everything's going to be fine. But then Morris gets impatient from his car and shoots their gas line. And they start losing gas really quickly. And Sam's like, shit, Michael, we're not going to make it back to Miami. Like, we need you to come to us. And so Michael's like, okay, go to a cement factory nearby. I know where you are. Like, go there and hold out as long as you can. I'm going to bring some reinforcements. That sounds right. Yeah, and I like this a lot. This is the point in the episode where I really start to enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely do. I like I like the whole bomb throwing. Mm-hmm. I like, he's I like, like things got went wrong and they have to improvise. Yeah, I like the way that the bombs are like in like Erlenmeyer flasks or whatever. Mm-hmm. It feels super sciencey. Yeah, it's very cute. Yeah, I think those are the Erlenmeyer ones, the flat ones. That the flat bottom with like the conical ones as opposed to the mm-hmm. globule ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I got you. I think those are Erlenmeyer's. I don't care. Okay. But I just like that, that Kobe Bell has brains, humor, and looks. Exactly. He's really the whole package. The whole package, ladies. <laughs> and gentlemen. And gentlemen. We're an inclusive podcast here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So they, so, and, and Michael, I think, specifically tells him, like, not only am I going to bring you back up, I'm going to go get the rival club owner. Because it feels like he's got a dog in this race where we don't, and that might be useful to us. So Fee drops Michael off at this interchange um, and then drives off herself. Michael is now dressed as a dirty cop and um, claims to be a unnamed internal affairs guy and is like, hey, all those dirty cops that you have on your payroll guy who owns the club? Well, I am in charge of those guys. And they just told me that your fucking MDMA lab got, like, snitched. It got taken. Where's the MDMA lab, you motherfucker? We have to go get them. I know where it is. And so Michael basically talks his way onto, like, this dude's crew. Yeah, he's, like, saying that, like, your whole situation that you have will get us all in jail because they're going to get caught. Mm -hmm. They're going to get caught. They're going to talk. It's going to be bad. So, like, you need to go handle this. And I am coming with you. Can I have a ride? How I got to this place is unclear. But I need a ride. (laughs) 
Because, yeah, he just, like, shows up and is like, I'm coming with you. He's like, he can't take his own car? No, he can't, because Fee's got it. Yeah. And we don't see Fee again until, like, the very end of the episode. But we, I presume that she's who picks them up at the end of all of this. But right, of we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So at the se- the cement plant, you know. The cement plant? The cement plant. The cement so, plant? <laughs> meanwhile, at the cement plant, Sam and Jesse are kind of holding off Morris with just sort of general firing, um, barely. And they've only got a couple more bombs, which they've made out of ether. And why? While uh, Sam and Jesse are kind of like keeping Morris at bay, um, they've got Evan set to work dousing a bunch of shit in more ether. So like they're they're preparing for something, but we don't know yet. Evan is like, so this seems bad. Why don't you give me a gun? I will hold them off and you guys can run. Like, I shouldn't have gotten you into this. I'm really sorry. And they're like, okay, kid, sit down. But good to know that you were willing to do that, even though you're an idiot. Uh, and then luckily Michael texts and he's two minutes out with his his carpool. His carpool, his Uber, Uber carpool, uh, his Uber pool is going to be there in two minutes. Um, so they're like, okay, perfect. So now we have to start separating ourselves from this situation so we don't get caught up in what's coming, which is going to be worse. So what they do is turn this like ether into essentially a dead man switch, which is Sam walks out holding a lighter lit and Morris is like, what's to stop me from killing you? Like, cause he's basically like, we'll give you the truck. We're going to leave. And Morris is like, cool. I'm going to kill you but then jesse and uh evan walk up behind him pouring ether and he's like well you could do that but we've fucking doused everything in ether and if you shoot me the lighter falls and the you know truck goes up in flames so i guess you have to decide do you want me dead more than you want this truck up to you and so basically they like pour a path of ether to cover them so that, and I think this is really clever. No, it is really clever. It's a really clever, like, you know, improvised dead man switch. You know, the very mutually assured destruction yeah. of it all, which is very fun. Uh, and they managed to, like, make it to the edge of, like, some brush. Like, they're, they're somewhere where there's, like, kind of a brush. forest section. Yeah. So they run off and more. They're probably by the Everglades. <laughs> it looks like shit. <laughs> And this is a cement plant. I don't think cement plants are, like, putting a high priority on, like, what the local beauty is. So anyway, so they make it into the brush, and I'm just like imagining uh, someone who wants to build a cement plant, like talking to a, like a real estate guy, just like tell me about your local beauty. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they make off into the local beauty, and Morris sends like half of his guys after them, and the other half of the guys to like start securing the MDMA lab. So then, right as that happens, the club owner who. Uh, officially outguns Morris since he split his party, emerges with Michael, and Michael kind of like, I guess just sort of sneaks away. Yeah. (laughs) Michael sneaks away at some point. Um, And so the other club owner with like all of his guys are like, it's done, Morris. You got to stop it. And Morris is like, let's do a shootout. And he's like, we definitely outgun you. Can I say really quickly, they both say that they're going to do a battle. (laughs) (laughs) The exact word is battle that they both... That these men both choose. Yes, very high stakes. Uh, and so then the other club owners like, you have like half the number of guys I do. So hey, half the number of guys. You want to leave? Do you want to stay here and die or do you want to leave? And every single one of Morris's people leaves. And then we see the all, the other club owner like take aim. And then we cut back to like the, the Everglades section and we hear some gunshot. And so Sam, Jesse, and Evan are like still running through the brush. We hear gunshots. And the pursuing party, like, turns around and is like, shit, there's gunfire. 
that matters way more than these fucking goons. We can find them later. So they head back, presumably to their deaths. And I assume that our three boys get picked up by Fee somewhere nearby. We don't really know because that's the end of it. Yeah, we have no idea how it resolves. Who gets the lab? What happens to it? We don't I, care. Yeah, I'm sort of hoping that like a stray bullet or something hits the ether and the the MDMA lab goes up anyways. Because like everyone dies. It was fucking dose. But yeah, we have no idea. Because the next thing we do is go to Elsa's office where Sam and Evan are waiting for Mama to come home. And when she does, Sam tells them about a tradition that he learned in Panama where when there's two sides of a conflict, what they do to like resolve the conflict is that they lock themselves in a room with a bottle of tequila and just get, quote, bonkers. They sit in the room and drink until they get bonkers, according to Sam, and they've gotten everything worked out. So Sam, like, gives them a bottle of tequila, locks them in the room, and is like, figure it out. I want to be very clear. What he does is he gives them a full bottle of tequila, like Mm -hmm. a full-size bottle of tequila, and says, I don't want to see you until the bottle is empty and gives it to two human beings. Well, to be fair, he takes a shot at first. Because at first, he has three shot glasses and pours them each a shot, and I was like is Sam going to stay and, like, be a part of this family meeting? But no, he just takes the first shot with them. Uh, he's like, salute! And then he leaves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a lot of fucking alcohol. It's a alcohol. lot of fucking alcohol. I imagine I he's playing this to, like, you know, comedic effect. It's more about, like, sit here and drink and talk to each other. And, like, yeah. My personal experience of this is that I don't get drunk around my family. <laughs> oh, so I love getting drunk around my I, family. And I know I'm in the minority here, but it's always weird to me. It's always weird to me when fa- people are, like, drunk around their parents. It's like, what are you doing? That's fair. I that's prefer your, it when my mom is drunk mom. around me. No, I love it when my mom is drunk. My mom is such a funny drunk. I mean, that weirdly feels a little bit better than if, like, I'm drunk around my parents. Mm-hmm. I'm very much... You know that one scene in Arrested Development where, like, George Michael's like... Probably like, not. No, no. Um, there's, like, the one scene where George Michael, like is, like, skipped out from doing, like, his job that he's supposed to do with um, his cousin. And then he sees, like, his parents, like, doing stuff. He's like, no, they're parents. They're allowed to have fun and goof off. We're children. We have to go to work. I don't remember. I've only seen Arrested Development once, and mostly what I remember is my friend chewing very loudly because we always watched when they were eating dinner. And we sat next to each other on a, and what, a door And what bed. did they eat for dinner? All sorts of stuff. It was usually stuff from the grill. So like, f- like soggy French fries was a lot of it. And like, there's a lot of chewing sounds when you're yeah, eating like soggy French fries. True. And we're watching on a laptop in a dorm room and we're all sitting next to each other on a bed while they're eating like dinner. Yeah, I can What see I'm saying that. is a situation was not optimal. No, it was not. For uh, taking in information. That's such a college thing. <laughs> But what was great is the reason that we were watching at their uh, dorm is because their roommate left like midway through freshman year and they had a whole two-person dorm room to themselves. So one bed was for sitting and eating on and the other bed was sleeping on. I know. I actually did have that like for a while. (sighs) So jealous. Yeah, that actually, that happened to another person in that same dorm actually. Um, And that was the person that I made out with a bunch in freshman year. Because it was also prime situation because since he didn't have another roommate, we could go back to his room without anybody disturbing us. Right. That makes sense. I'm going to tell you his name. I'm going to bleep it out on the podcast because it's there. He's the only man in the world. But the person that I made out with uh, before I met Quinn, but I made out with a lot and it was not great. His name was. It's a real name of a human person that I made out with a lot. That's a great name. It's a really good name. That's a really, oh my God. That's and like whatever a... you think that name means in a human being, yes. 
Yeah. Oh my god. Babe, that's real good. It's really good. That's really good. If you Venmo Brie Castellini, and I'm the only Brie Castellini on Venmo, if you Venmo Brie Castellini $100, I will tell you the name of this person. It's really good. It's a good name. It's a good name. $100, Venmo Brie Castellini. Uh, okay. It's worth it. So Elsa and uh, Evan presumably are drunk as fuck. We do not see them again. Uh, but I do very much like this Sam Axe mediation strategy. Yeah. I thought it was cute. I like that he referenced a, like where he learned this from. I like that he also took a drink initially. Yeah, like he was... He learned it in Panama while he was chasing around Noriega. <laughs> and he's just... I mean, this is a good move. And I like that he's just, he's not just like, yeah, you're shithead kid, right? He's like, no, you two need to talk. And I like that. That's very Sam Axe. It's very Sam Axe, and I liked it. Yeah. You could even say, peak Bruce Campbell. Maybe you could. So back at the loft with Fee and Michael, uh, they have apparently just been to Madeline's house to, like, leave some food in the fridge because she wasn't home. Madeline calls back, tells Michael, thank you, and that she'll see him tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow is until the last scene, but there's no time to dwell on this because uh, Fee notices some blood on like the stairwell that leads up to Michael's loft. And they're like, it's obviously Rebecca. That's the only person we've seen bleed today. So they, you know, get tense. They go up and Rebecca is like bleeding out in the kitchen. And it's like, listen, I don't have a gun. I didn't do it. I'm sorry. I panicked. I need to get out of here. I just want to live my life in peace. I swear to God, I didn't kill Nate. I didn't, like, I didn't kill Anson. I didn't hire someone to kill them. You think I would send somebody else to do my dirty work? I have to know this motherfucker is dead if I'm going to be the one to kill him. And I didn't, I swear. And Michael's like, I believe you. Get out of here. She's like, I got to go find my brother because the thing that we did feels not safe. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wish she said that, but she didn't. Yeah. Would have been some fun continuity. She does mention her brother, though. But mentioning her brother is different than saying, like, it sounds like your solution is not going to be a good, like, long-term one. So we're going to leave. We're going to get the fuck out of here. But she doesn't say that. She just leaves. Um, And then I guess that's, it's resolved that it's not Rebecca. So the final scene is Nate's funeral, which is where uh, Seth Peterson gets his acting credit because it's an open casket. And he just lays there being dead. And everyone's very sad. And the Can I say, with this funeral scene, even though I know that Nate is dead, mm-hmm. because of the tone of this episode, <laughs> this funeral scene comes out from out of nowhere as much as Nate's death does. Like, They're like wrapping it up so fast. It's like, It's what? so fast. And it's like so sudden. Like the episode <laughs> had nothing to do with it. And it's like... Oh, right. Here's Nate's funeral. We got to wrap this up. We got to make sure you know he's in the fucking ground. So the final shot of the episode is like the full gang all in black flanking the surviving Westons from Nate's coffin POV, which I like. It's a nice shot. It's a nice shot. Yeah. And it's also from Nate's dead body's point of view, which I think is very funny. It is very funny. Because who gives a shit? Fuck Nate. Absolutely fuck Nate. Let's talk about spy tips. So this first tip, I don't think necessarily is a spy tip, and it's certainly not practical, but there's a mental health aspect to it that I think is a lesson we could all learn. And that used to be our beat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's how this came about, in in fact. So um, number one, the one that I wrote down, uh, I didn't write it down. I don't do spy tips. 
that's not my burn notice wiki editing. I'm all about them aliases. So uh, spies are trained to react immediately when an operation goes bad. Every minute that goes by is another minute your enemy can use to regroup and get stronger. But there are times where you have to remember that denying grief and loss and love can be dangerous too. Because in the heat of battle, you have to know what you're fighting for. That's less irrelevant. But I like that he's like, you know what? It's dangerous to not feel your feelings. It's important to feel your feelings and understand, like, what's going on. You can't ignore them. That's true. Do we think that's the spy tip? No, but I, I thought it was, like, I was reading through it and I was like, that actually is sort of good advice for me right now. Thanks, Michael Weston. All right. But it doesn't count towards the episode. No, it doesn't. But I just, I wanted to make but sure that everyone remembered. It. Yeah. It, sometimes it's dangerous to deny your feelings. Yeah, exactly. Feel your feelings. They're Feel okay. Feel your feelings, okay? Your feelings are valid. Exactly. Unless Probably. they're about us, in which case they're not. Unless they're positive. Because to be clear, we don't accept criticism. Yeah, but we do accept praise. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Please praise us. Or send me uh, one well, $1,000 would be great. Venmo me $100 and I'll tell you who I made out with in college. It's a great name. It's a great... Do you think it's worth $100? I don't... Maybe. It might be. It depends on how much money you have. If you have more than $2,000 in your bank account right now, it's worth $100. Okay. I will, in the interest of fairness and honesty, Mm -hmm. it is not a famous person. No, it's definitely not. It's just a very funny name. It's just a funny name. It's a funny name that you can associate with I will say that it's not that funny, but it's also funny. Like, it's very literary, is what I will say. Mm -hmm. But for a book written by an idiot. Spy tip... Number one for real this time. Most high-rises set up their phone systems floor by floor with switches called uh, switches called switches called IDFs. They make maintenance easy and help manage call traffic, but they're also vulnerable. Splice a line into the switch and you can make all the calls you want. And no one will ever know you picked up the phone. That sounds good. Yep, useful. Yeah, let's do it. Number two, when you're preparing equipment for an unknown tactical situation, more is better. You need a range of weaponry of different sizes and calibers so that you're ready for anything from close combat to full gun, a full-on gun battle. Most important of all is body armor. A good lightweight Kevlar vest can be concealed under clothing and will stop stabbing attacks, slashing attacks, and almost any round short of a 50 cal. It doesn't guarantee you'll survive a surprise attack, but it's a hell of a lot better than nothing. Yeah, no, also there's good. A, there's enough stuff there's in enough there. There's enough in there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy it. All right. Number three, in any tactical situation where you're outnumbered and outgunned, it's essential not to let fear or panic push you into making the first move. In combat, the defender usually has the advantage, although it can be hard to remember that when you have a dozen men with high caliber weapons on your tail. I don't know if this is true. I don't know if it's... Well, I think it's fair. It's like a defender does have a little bit more of an advantage because they have a thing that is coveted. And, like, it's easier to, like, because you get to react rather than having to make the first move. But that's the thing, though, is that you have to react. You can't be proactive at all. But that that actually is easier. So, like, when I used to fence, I would, f- like, never make the first move. In fact, it would, like, really piss people off when I would I would just stand there. And okay. they would have to come to me. And because I know what they want, and usually because I knew my opponent, I could react easily. That makes sense. And okay, exploit a that. weakness. All right. I get it now because you've told me a fencing story. Yep. I was really good at fencing. It was just a very expensive hobby because, like, you have to have all this equipment and you can only do it when you're, like, hooked up to a bunch of wires. So you have to be at a very specific location in order to do it. It's like, you know, you can play soccer anywhere. But, like, right. fencing is hard to recreate outside of, like, an actual fencing studio. I mean... Which makes it tough. Like, and also, it's not that hard. It's just, like, you have to be fine with, like, people getting hurt. 
Yeah, that's yeah. well, but you, but like, uh, but fencing often comes down to like split second differences because it's not just like who, like usually you're both stabbing each other, yeah. and there is a sensor in the vest that you wear uh-huh. as well as there's a button at the end of the fencing, uh, like stick. Yeah, and we're hooked up to wires that detect who hit first. Yeah, because fencing can... happens very quickly. You can't recreate that. Yeah, but it is real easy to just like wail on people with swords. Well, yes, but that's not the point. I'm not wailing on people with swords. I mean, I I'm feel like tactically that's the point, fighting them. No, the point is that I win, and I win with a sword in my hand. This seems like you're making swords less cool. That sounds like loser talk to me. Sounds like someone who would not be good at fencing. Oh, not be terrible at fencing. You would be really bad at fencing. Number four, there's a reason bomb makers are fussy about their workspaces. When a stray spark or a dropped beaker could end more than just your career, you take every precaution to operate in a safe, stable environment. Of course, when you're in the field, you don't always get to do what you want. So if you need to build improvised explosives in the back of a moving truck, you keep your head down, you stay focused, and you pray that nothing blows up before it's supposed to. Now, this spy fact isn't good, but we know what he's using to build the bomb from the scene. And sometimes we get them credit for like a vague tip if what's happening to like accompanying it yeah. on screen is helpful and it's like ether and flame yeah exactly. and the way he, like i feel like i know how to build that bomb yeah that makes sense cool you feel like you could blow something up now i do yeah and that's Even what we want a, from this show exactly i want to know that i can be a one-person terrorist cell exactly and i can yeah and we've got that on tape unfortunately that's only four tips. That is only four tips. Because We're you did out. not that accept the, the mental tip. health tip as right. an acceptable tip. So there are not at least five practical spy tips in this whole episode. <gasps> there were, in fact, only seven total, like, voiceover moments. Wow. I am. So it was, a, it was a pretty light episode from that, even though there were two, like, simultaneous things that we were doing. Right, yeah. So it's interesting that it was so light. Uh, did we use spycraft over violence to solve this week's case? Did we? Uh, well, we used hypoglycemia and donuts to muscle our way into a print shop. Do you have to be a spy to do that? Well, they also did that thing again where they made other people do violence on their behalf while they snuck away. That is a spy thing to do. That's a very spy thing to That's do. That's true. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, was there an alias? So, yes, in terms of how the Burn Notice wiki is collated. Obviously, we have Eric, a.k.a. Jesse. Uh We have Chuck, a.k.a. Sam. And we have unnamed um, IA operative Michael, who is also a dirty cop. Yeah, a.k.a. A.k.a. But would we... That's not how we... Mm -mm. We we need a name. On Burn Notice. We need a name and a characterization, and it also has to be Michael's. And this is very, like, an on-the-fly cover. Yeah, no, this is not... This is not a flesh out alias. No, these I didn't are not get to see any character work. He no. didn't practice his accent with Fee before she no. dropped him off. Although I would have liked that. I would have liked a repeat. Like, remember when we were on the boat and he was like upset that he couldn't practice his doctor jargon without Fee there? Yeah. I want to actually see them practice sometime. I do want to see them Now that she's back. You know, yeah, no, we have to circle. see it. We have to see it. Uh, but yeah, no alias. No alias. So in order to be a great episode of Burn Notice, uh, it's failed. It's already failed. Yeah, it's already failed. But it's already gone. We're at least- that ship has sailed. But were at least two supporting characters used well? Uh, does Fee get to blow something up or get to be the protagonist? No. No, she does not get to She doesn't even things. get to blow up. We, no. bear, we don't even see her in the conclusion yeah. of either of the plots. Because she's involved technically in both of them. But Michael's the one that chases Rebecca. So she's like not even there. Yeah. And then I think she's the one that picks all the boys up after the like 
gunfight at the MDMA lab. Like, but we like, also don't see that happen. Like mom from soccer practice. Exactly. So yeah, no, Fee didn't get to do shit. Like mom from fencing practice. <laughs> uh, Sam, I think definitely got to be peak. Yeah, this was a Sam episode. This was a Sam episode, and yeah. it was a good one. I enjoyed yeah. that. Uh, is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? I mean, he played that guitar. I don't know if that means anything. <laughs> I mean, he, he so his his like got, main alias stuff was yeah. he yelled a lot at the. Um, I think that there was a, a flamboyance in his. I yeah. will have the cops fingerprint every rock on this street. That was good. Like it feels like not a detail Michael Weston would add. Yeah, that's true. All right, yeah, I'll give. You know that. what I mean? So I'll give it to him. Yeah. Uh, and then Madeline was only in one scene this episode, and it's yeah. like fucking looking at Nate's dead idiot body. So nothing I, emotional about that. Yeah, nothing genuine. Nothing emotional. Certainly not case of the week. Even the case of the week about Nate getting murdered is like tangentially about Nate. So, no. Uh, all right. So, yeah, unfortunately, this is not a great episode of Burn Notice. However, would you say that it's a great episode of television? Well, no. No. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, again, I enjoyed it. I had a yeah. good time watching it. I laughed. I giggled a lot, especially at the boy plot. Yeah. Um, there were no yogurts as far as I could see. Cause they just didn't spend a lot of time in the loft. And when they did no, yeah. it, they were like coming in and out. They weren't like camped there for a exactly. while. Exactly. They weren't yogurting. yogurting. They were not yogurting. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't a great episode of television. Uh, I think that on a detail level, they could have done more to tie it to the fucking Nate got murdered last episode. Are we not even going to deal with that at all? So like the tonal shifts were notable. And also, I just felt like the detail work within the, like, even if we're putting aside that nobody gives a shit about Nate, like, the kid just being kind of a burnout. Yeah. Like, I feel like Elsa's intro could have been more fun. Right, I, It yeah. could have involved her more. Exactly. Like, I want her to, like, I don't know, maybe maybe she's mad like, that, like, Sam's always, like, off on it. She's like, it can't possibly be that dangerous. Like, I know you. You're, like, a big softie. And then she ends up getting embroiled and seeing yeah, him at the work. Yeah, thing is that, like... being like, holy shit, you're a about, man. About, like, finally meeting Elsa... Is that, like, nothing about, like, her characterization or even, like, the actress that they have cast, frankly, no offense to her, mm-hmm. makes it seem like this is a character that we're going to be seeing a lot of or that we should care about. Yeah, I want yeah. her to, like, at first be, like, scared and, like, you know, oh, my gosh, your world is so scary. And then at the end be like, can we take these handcuffs home? Exactly. That sort of shit. Yeah, I want I want her to be horny. Yeah. Let women be horny. Exactly. Matt. <laughs> Rashad. I mean, Fee was horny. But, like, her eyes were horny in one montage, and then we don't get any, like, Why are nothing people else not happened. constantly almost <laughs> fucking in this episode? Let's be very clear. We don't want them to be fucking. We want them to be horny. Yes. And I feel like I have been robbed. Yeah. Just like the guy whose name I never bothered to know who owns that club. So that's it. That's, that's... all I have. Do you have anything else to say? This is the last episode before uh, 2022, so oh, any, wow. any words of holiday wisdom? Um, I hope everything stops being on fire. I would also like that. Yeah, I think that would be great. I think that would be great, too. Well, until next year, thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next year, uh, bye-bye. Like, let it go from Frozen. Oh, Elsa. Got it. <laughs>